0: A married couple came to their pastor and announced, we're getting a divorce. We just don't love each other anymore. But the pastor surprised the husband by asking him, the Bible says that you are to love your wife as Christ loved the church. Can you love your wife as Christ loved the church? And he said, oh, no, pastor. I I could never do that. I told you I, I don't love her at all. Well, the pastor was undeterred, and he asked the woman, well, you're commanded to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Can you love your husband as you would love a neighbor? And the woman said, no, we can't do that either. We told you it's over. We're always at one. They're always in conflict. We can't do that. And so the pastor said, okay, the Bible says love your enemy. Begin there. the pastor was making a point wasn't he the christian is commanded to love not as an emotion per se but as obedience to the word of god as obedience to jesus and there's no one who is to remain outside the scope of that love not even an enemy not even someone who harms you now look at who is speaking here Of course, it's Jesus. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. It's your Redeemer. And the question before us is, Jesus is speaking, how will you respond to Him? What will you say as He speaks to you? Will you listen, or will you refuse Him? Will you turn away? Many did. Many heard His Word. In fact, even in this context... Just above in verse 17, we see that a great multitude, a vast people came out to hear his words. But yet, on another time, when a multitude was there and he said hard things, it's recorded for us that, that many went away. They didn't want to hear anymore. They didn't want to listen anymore. And when that happened, he he asked his disciples, Jesus did, will you go also? Will you also turn away? And Peter, speaking for all of them, really, I think he said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Where else will we go, Lord, to hear the words of eternal life? Well, Peter struggled in many ways as we do, but Peter embraced the words of eternal life. Will you? Even the hard words, will you receive them or will you reject Jesus' words of eternal life? For That's what these are. It's tragic, in my opinion, and probably yours, that uh, American people, so many these days, have become just plain mean and angry, certainly in the public arena, certainly on social media, certainly on reviews of this or that, piece of news. we become a people that are just arrogant and easily offended and racially divided and harshly critical. We have become slanderers, slandering reputations, lying about one another, and we're just becoming a nasty people, sad to say. We're becoming a nation of bullies. We can't be like that as believers, as earlier in the service. We can't be as the peoples around us, the Gentiles so to speak. It's not the way of Christ and so any hateful actions are contrary to our calling in Christ and our identity in Christ, our union with Christ. Peter, as I mentioned, Peter got it. He was a sinner saved by grace like we but he got it and he said this to the church, have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love a tender heart and a humble mind do not repay evil for evil or insult for insult peter got it now notice to whom the lord is speaking we said the lord is speaking but to to whom he says i say to to you who hear there was a vast multitude there but he say i say to you who are here or to you who really to the hearing ones is that you is that me are we hearing ones because this hearing he's speaking of is not just the physical act of hearing, as though Jesus is addressing all who hear his voice, those who are within proximate distance to hear his voice or, and to understand his words. Many were there, many heard his voice, many heard his words, but they weren't necessarily hearing ones because the hearing he's referring to is, of course, spiritual hearing. He often said, he who has ears to hear let him hear. Many have ears, all have ears. Not all have ears to hear. Jesus said this, right? My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. See, if you are a hearing one, if you are one of the Lord's sheep, then you'll show that by following him, which means listening and obeying. Hearing is keeping his commands. It's saying, yes, Lord, Not refusing him. And what does he command? He commands love. He said, this is my commandment, that you would love one another as I have loved you. Okay, I got that. I will love those who love me. No, that's not what he said. He said, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you, to those who abuse you, to those who curse you. And by enemy, let's not think about people out there. Like many of you, when, when I was growing up, the enemy was Russia or the Soviet Union. We were afraid of them. We had we had uh, practices. Now we have what kind of yeah terrorists? We had we had nuclear attack preparations. Like that's really going to help. But as kids, you guess you don't know any better, right? You hope. Um, You know, now I guess the enemy is terrorists or maybe the North Koreans or who knows what the uh, enemy du jour is. But let's not think about them. Let's think about people we know. Someone who hurts you. Someone who criticizes you or opposes your interests. Or someone who slanders your name, harms your reputation. Maybe even hurts you financially or hurts your career. How should you respond? Jesus says... Love. Do we even know what that is, though? There's so much talk in our country about love, and yet I would contend there's so little understanding of what it really is. Because love is the deliberate good you do for the benefit of others, even if it involves great personal cost. Now, We understand that perhaps to some extent because I have no doubt that every one of you loves your own kids like that. I have no doubt that there's not a a parent in this room that wouldn't give his or her life in exchange for the life of your child. I have no doubt that you would do that. We understand that love can involve or may involve personal sacrifice and loss. But what is so shocking perhaps is that Jesus is telling us here that that love extends to our enemies, to those who hate us and abuse us and mistreat us. He's quite clear. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To the one who hits you on the cheek, offer the other one as well. Come on. That's impossible. Maybe you're thinking, who can love his enemy? Who can do good? to those who abuse me and despise me and tear me up apart. Who can do that? Well, I'm glad you asked. I'll tell you. God did. Right? God loved you and God loved me. Perhaps the classic passage with regard to that is this one in Romans 5. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die, or perhaps for a child. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled To God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. So, the very first reason we must love our enemies is because by that we present an accurate picture of who God is and what he is like. That God is merciful to sinners. Exodus 34 The Lord, the Lord, a a God merciful and gracious slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, forgiving iniquity and and transgression and sin. The Lord, the Lord, merciful and gracious. Okay, yeah, that's fine for God. But really, that's impossible for me. No one can do that. Well, indeed, for man, this is impossible. But as the Lord said elsewhere, for God, but, or with God, all things are possible. See, God's kingdom is about making the impossible possible. Read the Bible. The blind, what? Receive sight. The paralyzed, walk. The deaf, hear. Tax collectors become honest people. And hated people do good to those who hate them. That's the transforming power of of the gospel. With God, let's say it, all things are possible. Over 60 years ago, a young married woman's husband was brutally murdered. The man was a missionary and he was only trying to bring the good news to a people who had never yet heard the name of Jesus. And yet he was murdered by a man He had never met, and the young bride lost her beloved husband. What did she do? Well, she prepared herself and went back to those people, to that tribe of brutal killers. But she didn't bring guns and rifles and spears. She didn't bring an army. She brought the same good news that her husband meant to bring to those people, and she ministered the love of Christ to the very men to the very men who killed her husband and his friends that man's name that missionary's name was Jim Elliot and his wife's name was of course Elizabeth the kingdom of god is god's new humanity in which he dwells in by his spirit if anyone is in christ he's what a new creation peter again His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. In God's kingdom on earth, we are what? His sons and daughters like Adam and Eve who are made in the image of God. And in the new covenant in Christ, we are given a new heart and we are renewed in the spirit of our minds. As Paul said, we put on the new man, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Who is that new man? Who do we put on? Who are we clothed with in the gospel? The Lord Jesus Christ, the, the new Adam or the last Adam. And so in our union with Christ, We participate in His holy character as those who, as Peter says, are called to His own glory and excellence, as those who are forgiven, as those who are justified, as those who are adopted. See, the gospel comes with life-giving grace and transforming power. We are born again. We are raised from spiritual death and given new life. And that grace breaks our hard, selfish hearts and humbles our pride and bitterness and anger and retribution are put away so that we can love even our enemies as we, once the enemies of God, have been loved by Him. See, as the Father has done for His children, so His children are compelled by His life giving spirit to do for others. Do you know the fruit of the Spirit? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, and so forth. See, the merciful love we display toward our enemies, toward those who hate us, displays our familial relationship with the Father. So the second reason we must love our enemies, is that a witness to unbelievers that we are God's children and that this love is our witness of the great saving work of God. John wrote, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. Are you amazed when you read that? See what kind of love the Father has given us that we should be called the children of God of God. And who can deny that relationship when we love as the Father loves? Now I will say this. Loving others can be a fairly easy thing to do, a fairly natural thing to do. It's not hard to love people who love us. I've observed my own kids as well as some of your kids, and a lot of kids I've known throughout the years, that when, when parents are loving toward their children, when they dote on their children in a, in a good way, uh, not an indulgent way, but when, when parents love their kids over years, their kids almost always love them in return, right? You've seen that as well. Well, Jesus said, Even sinners love those who love them, even sinners do good. To those who do good to them, even sinners lend to others when they expect repayment. When you go to the, no offense, okay, but when you go to a bank and they lend you money, they're not righteous because they lend you money. They expect the money back with interest. And if you don't pay them, they're going to come get whatever they help you buy. Right? But that's just the point. Sorry. That's just the point. There's nothing extraordinary, nothing spiritual about being good toward those who are good to you. Everybody does that. Jesus asked, what benefit is that to you? The word benefit is the word charis, the word grace, the word favor. What favor, what grace is that to you? You're just doing what's common among people. Everybody does that. Terrorists love their fellow terrorists. See, there's no benefit. When you work faithfully and carry out your responsibilities, probably the boss doesn't come and say, you did your job today. Here's a new car. He says, you did your job today. Come in tomorrow and do it all over again. Right? When you do good to those who do good to you, you're just doing your duty. There's no grace in that. Well, Christ imitating love doesn't serve with expectation. It doesn't give to gain a reward. That's the world's love. It gives to gain a reward. Oh, the young man wooed. Not, not the young man in our church, of course, because Jeff's a good uh, servant there. But the young man wooed the young woman with secret thoughts. Maybe not so secret these days. Or the wealthy benefactor gives to some great project to have his name or her name in the newspaper or maybe on the building. See, Christians are called to serve without seeking repayment. Jesus said, expecting nothing in return. He said this when you give a dinner or a banquet, Do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. See, if you do something in this life to gain a reward, well, maybe you will gain it. But that's all you get. Hope you liked it because it's gone tomorrow. But when you give a gift expecting nothing in return to those maybe who can't pay you back, Jesus said, What? You will have a reward at the resurrection. Because again, you are showing your familial relationship with God. Didn't God give a gift that can't be repaid? Or do you think you can repay God for his love? Do you think you can repay Jesus for his atoning sacrifice? Of course not. Nonsense. So we shouldn't think we are doing something righteous when we love the lovable. Or when we're kind to those who are kind to us. Or when we do good to those who do good to us. That's easy. Everybody does that. The mark of the Christian is giving when nothing comes back. So do you have a spouse, maybe a parent, a friend, a child who is difficult, maybe times just mean and nasty and hard to get along with? Maybe there's a friend, someone at work, maybe someone even in church, someone in your neighborhood who has been unkind, mean-spirited. Great! Great! What an opportunity to show the love of Christ! What an opportunity to give grace. What a way to glorify God by giving without receiving back. Is it difficult? Yes. For me it is. Is it possible? In Christ it is. In the power of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you'll get nothing positive from that person. Maybe you'll get more grief, more difficulty, more ingratitude. But still you must... Love that person. And your reward will be great. Jesus said, You'll be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Think about it this way that ungrateful and evil person uh, pretty much sort of describes me pretty well. How about you? It does, right? Yet God is kind toward us, He doesn't treat us as we deserve to be treated. There's a lot of talk about, oh, you deserve this, and I deserve that. If anyone listens to Dave Ramsey or watches him, if someone asks Dave Ramsey, how you doing, Dave? He says, what? (laughs) Because Jesus bore the punishment for your sins. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities, as we deserve. Psalm 103 See, because of grace, we get far, 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 far better than we deserve. Paul says we can't even imagine, we can't even fathom the riches that we possess in Christ Jesus. And isn't that ultimately your hope and your praise and that which gives you intense gratitude? That God will not, has not, does not, and will not treat you as you deserve. That God is always merciful to you because of what somebody else has done, not because of you, but because of Jesus. Aren't you grateful for that? So receiving mercy and patience from our Father, the love we then have for others is to be, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, A love that bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. We are that way because that's the way God is with us. And that's the way we want to be treated. Verse 31, the golden rule, we know it all too well, but practice it not nearly so well. So we can't wash our hands of someone just because they're difficult and unkind. How many times have I seen someone walk away from a marriage, walk away from a church, walk away from a friendship. Where's the love? Where's the commitment? Where's the patience? Are you not a child of God? Have you not received these things from God? In certain ways, when you have grown kids like like I do, like a lot of you do, you can see your kids and they're a lot like you. My kids, each one of them, they're all different But they're all like me in in certain ways. It's a little bit scary sometimes. But here's the thing. We as the children of God are like Him as well in certain ways. God made Adam and Eve in His image. And though we believers fallen in Adam, we're redeemed in Christ. And so we are renewed in that image of God, having been given a new heart. John wrote this. This is the message that you have heard from the beginning, way back to Adam and Eve, that we should love one another. That message is from the very beginning, when God put Adam and Eve in the garden, made in His image, and the law was written on their heart to love one another. But John continues, we should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. So if you are like God, you will love because you will be his child, renewed in his image. But if you cannot love, then you are like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. John is clear, in fact. He said, he wrote, Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. You simply cannot love God and hate your brother according to the Word of God. Oh, maybe American culture says you can, but forget it. The Word of God says you can't. You can't receive grace in Christ and not be gracious to others because that grace makes you gracious. That love makes you loving. Imperfectly, yes. Don't hear what I'm not saying. But those who are hateful and those who are not gracious as a pattern of life show that they are actually illegitimate children. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. We quote that God is love. We rip it out of context, those three words, all the time, even in non-Christian culture. Here's the context. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. But those who are merciful, imaging the merciful God, show that they are indeed the true sons and daughters of God. Because only by being as your father do you show that you are children of God. The children so satisfied with that love, with that relationship, with that grace that loss in this world really doesn't matter. I think it was Spurgeon or someone who said something like, since we are forgiven, does it matter what happens to us in this world? And see, by denying yourself revenge and returning a gift instead, you show that you have a greater treasure than anything this world offers and that you can endure temporal loss because... As the psalmist said, there's nothing on earth I desire besides you, besides Christ, because our treasure is not here on earth. It's in heaven. Our hope is in heaven. But loving our enemies, I believe, witnesses of a third thing as well. You perhaps know, I'm sure you know, the parallel text in Matthew 5 a little bit better, where it's written there, so you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. in verse 35 in Luke, uh, Jesus says, "You will be sons of the Most high. Sons of the Most high. It's different. Is it significant? Doesn't matter? I think it does. I think it's important. There's a, there was a prophecy back in Luke chapter one pertaining to the Lord Jesus, and This prophecy was this. He will be great and he will be called the Son of the Most High. So Jesus is, as you know, the firstborn Son of God or Son of the Most High. Right? And by redemption, by our union with Christ, we also become sons, not masculine, but children, sons and daughters of the Most High. Now we've been talking about that, how this love displays our familiar relationship it displays that we are children of God but I think it's more involved in, in than just that there's an implication here I want to bring out to you in just a couple of minutes just touch on this you have to look at it more later but keep in mind that Luke's gospel the third gospel is really volume one of a of a two-volume series Luke and Acts right And we know then that Luke is concerned with our Lord's commands. You will be witnesses, my witnesses, in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Right? What Jesus accomplished, what Jesus taught, must be taken to the nations. There must be the feet of those who announce good news to the entire earth. And that's what the book of Acts is about. It's about that redemption accomplished being uh, proclaimed and explained to many people, to the nations, indeed to the end of the earth. Now we know that God in the Old Testament reveals Himself by many different names. You're familiar with that. And one of them is Most High. Well, what does that mean? What does God reveal in the Old Testament and the New by the name Most High? High. Well, it reveals Yahweh, Jehovah, as the sovereign over all nations. Now, remember, back in the Old Testament days, there were many, many, many gods. You heard VJ's testimony a few weeks ago, when, as a young man, someone came to him with the message about Jesus, the Son of God. I'm like, Pfft. we don't need this Jesus. We have many gods in India. Well, there are many gods in those days, as. You as you well know. Uh, But unlike those territorial gods, the Old Testament reveals Jehovah as the Most High God, the Supreme God, the Great God, the greatest God, the one who is exalted above all other gods. Psalm 97 verse 9 says, For you, O Lord, are the Most High over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. So Most High, the name Most High in the Old Testament is used to assert uh, Yahweh's superiority over all gods. Now we also know in the Old Testament that the Most High God, or Jehovah, is going to inherit all the nations. In other words, the God who rules over all the nations, not just a little piece of geography, but He rules over all the world, over all nations, is God is gathering the nations unto Himself, a people from every tribe and and nation and tongue. Now think way back to the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11. At that point, due to their sin, God gave the nations over to the idols. In the very next chapter, it's important, in Genesis 12, God chooses one man, one pagan, by the way, Abraham to be his people, his new people, okay? But now, after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, God is again gathering the nations to himself that he once cast off. And how is he doing that? By his witnesses proclaiming the gospel to the ends of the earth. The book of Acts. And what we have even through today. And that witness requires love, even love for enemies, because by this they make it known that God God is now offering His love to those who once were His enemies. Paul said this, what? But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, you who once were a cast-off people, you once were enemies and strangers and aliens have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And this happens in part when we love our enemies. I trust you know the story of Elizabeth Elliot when she went back in and a great percentage of those Ecuadorian people came to know the Lord and came to embrace Jesus. It was her loving her enemies, the very people that murdered her husband and his friends. That, along with the word proclaimed, brought a great work of God. And think about even today, missionaries who are tortured, yet refuse to go home. They go back. They return. In fact, I have an assignment for you, okay? It says homework. Uh, Go look up YouTube, and look up, just look up Suda, S-U-T-A, Suta, is a young pastor in India. And he went to a, a, a village of people that were Hindu extremists, very hostile to the gospel. And he was beaten. He was cast into a pit and he nearly died. Well, that's a Voice of the Martyrs video. You can watch that and see what happened, see how God used This young man, Suda, who loved his enemies. So, beloved, these are the words of eternal life because this is the sonship that is eternal life. This is the love of God. This is the love of those who know God's love and who make God's love known to others. By this love, they reveal that God is abounding in mercy and compassion, they reveal the incredible redemptive work of God, that in Christ Jesus, all who believe become sons and daughters, the children of God, renewed in the image of God, the people of God. And thirdly, they reveal His purpose to gather the nations to Himself. People once His enemies, people once cast off, people once lo ami. me Not my people, but now being gathered as Jesus builds his church into a vast multitude, as innumerable as the sand on the seashore, according to the promise given to Abraham, covering the entire earth. So let me ask you this in closing. Is God's love more important to you than your own interests? Is the gospel more important than retribution? Is Jesus sweeter than even your own life? Do you wish to declare His glory and His wonderful works among people? If you do, if you are His children, then be merciful, even as your heavenly Father is merciful. The Bible says, With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Like your Father, show love, even to people you don't like, to those who have hurt you. Even to your enemies, show the grace and love of Jesus for sinners. And who knows who the Lord might save and make for you, instead of an enemy, a brother or a sister in the Lord. But even if not, the grace and glory of God will be known among you. And is that not a great joy for us?